What is up, plant people? Today's Tuesday, October 20th, 2020. 10, 20, 20, 20. And we're back with another episode of the Planthropology Podcast, the show where we dive into the lives and careers of some really, really cool plant and nature people, see what they, makes them tick, and what keeps them coming back for more. I'm Vikram Baliga, your humble guide through this journey of discovery about how we as humans connect back to our environment and why people like to do it. How is everyone today? I hope you are super well. I am more, I, I am beside myself with excitement for you to hear this episode. This was such a good one. Um, it's something that lives kind of close to my heart. A really great, it, it's about a really great local program with a friend of mine who I've been wanting to get on the show for quite a while. And I'm just, I, I, I'm really, really excited. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. First, uh, just a couple of quick things. The show's first birthday is coming up soon. Can y'all believe it? Can you believe it's almost been a year? I, 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 I cannot. I cannot. It's coming up in just about two weeks on November 5th, which is the one-year anniversary or the first birthday of the Planthropology Podcast. If you want to get me a gift, what you can get me is a rating and a review on Apple or on Podchaser or somewhere else. Uh, really anywhere you can drop some information or leave a review for the show. I would love a five-star rating, but I also want you to be honest. And if there's something I'm doing that you don't like or something that I'm not doing that you would like to hear, please let me know. Maybe uh, uh, send me an email at planthropologypod at gmail.com instead of leaving me a bad rating or bad review. But you know what? To each his own, and I will let you do you. Um, follow us on social media. We're all the places, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, just search for Planthropology. You'll find the green background, the little white tree. Uh, although we do have a new logo coming out soon, which I'm not going to tell you much about, but we will unveil it, um, on our birthday on November 5th. Again, so excited. Okay. Jumping into today's episode, uh, my guest today is Matt McEwen, uh, who I've known for a few years um, through a variety of different things. We kind of run in some of the same circles here in Lubbock, but Matt is the director of the Food Bank Farm, Orchard, and Grub Program for the South Plains Food Bank. And we talk more about what that is, but essentially the Grub Program, which is where we spend most of our time on this episode today, is a great summer program for local local uh, high school students, uh, local teenagers, where they can come and get a part-time job, um, learn skills and how to grow stuff and how to run a small business and all kinds of things. And uh, the, the big goal, as we discuss, is breaking these cycles of poverty. And it is such an amazing program. Um, and that's over and above the amazing work that the, the uh, South Plains Food Bank, um, Food Bank Orchard, which has about 2,500 apple trees, and the Food Bank Farm, which grows a lot of food for this community, um, do. It's over and above all of that great work. So I can't wait for you to hear it. We talk a little bit about fire ecology, and because uh, Matt has also studied prescribed burns and fire ecology, and this guy has done a little bit of everything. And um, it was such a fun conversation. There's definitely Definitely going to be a part two uh, sometime soon, probably, where we really talk more about um, the way that fire formed our world and formed our societies and, and all of that. So anyway, I don't want to delay anymore. I'm going to jump into it. I, I hope you really enjoyed today's episode because I know I really enjoyed recording it. So grab yourself an apple and your favorite fall beverage 
and settle in for episode 31 of the Planthropology Podcast with Matt McEwen. back uh, with another episode of Plains Apology, and I'm actually sitting out here at the South Plains Food Bank Farm, uh, and you can hear crickets, and you can hear all kinds of stuff, and uh, I kind of love the ambience, so you get, you get to hear it too. But I'm here with my friend, uh, Matt McEwen, who is the uh, farm manager. Is that, is that your... Director of the Farm, Orchard, and Grub Division. That's, that's a much better title than I gave <clears throat> Director of Farm, Orchard, and Grub the grub farm. So, man, thanks for being on with me today. Yeah, um, I've so been looking forward to it. Um, we've crossed. Yeah, I'm so been looking forward to it. We've we've crossed paths over the years, and and this is a neat opportunity. Yeah, and I I know that uh, likewise, likewise, I I think that um, you know when I made my uh, initial list when I first started this of people wanted to talk to you, you were definitely on there, and we're. Um, I don't remember when this is coming out. I think it'll be like the second or third week in October. And this is like leading up to our one year anniversary. So there were a few people that I was like, okay, I want to get them in before we hit one year. And you were on that list because you've done so many things. Yeah. I, I've, and I've, I'm in a totally different space now than I was a year ago when you started. Um, still covering a lot of the same things, but yeah, definitely in a new role. Um, and it's been a, a a different year. <laughs> it, uh, yes. Uh, that, you know, and, and I think about, and we'll talk about kind of your background and how you got here, but I think about changing careers and vastly changing careers in 2020 and what a uh, uh, stressful but maybe exciting thing that could have been. So why, why don't you just kind of uh, kick it off and, and introduce yourself a little bit more. Tell us about your background and and uh, how you got to where you are. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, born and raised here in Lubbock. Um, this is my home. Uh, spent a couple years down in, in the hill country, not going to school after <laughs> high school. Um, but it was fun. And it was at, at that time, you know, when you're 18 in your hometown, uh, just you didn't really appreciate it. So it took me leaving for a couple years. And then once I came back, um, I saw it as a totally different um community um got involved with like the arts they were kind of blossoming i look back you know 20 years ago in high school there was no art trail um yeah there was so many things that were different that kids growing up now um have at their you know you know you go to the first uh first friday art trail and there's like hundreds of high school kids um so it's really neat to see how our community has evolved um and I mean, good God, before I was 26 years old, I probably had a paycheck from 26 different entities. <laughs> um, I, I was always working. Uh, my family had a moving business um, that kept me busy during the summers and gave me the work ethic to uh, go to school. Like, yeah. I, I didn't want to be a, a mover for my whole <laughs> life um, and kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do as far as like my degree always kind of wanted to teach, but then I could never like buckle down and do the actual like, um, four year teaching thing. And I wanted to major in nature. Actually, I wanted to minor in nature and I figured out it didn't fit with the block scheduling of, of becoming a teacher. So right. I said, I'm going to major in it. And, um, Dr. Tomlinson in the honors college, um, talked to me and she said, I think this program would be great. And it was natural history and humanities. Um, 
incredible uh, degree that's now, I think, turned back into a, a minor only, mm-hmm. um, very small. All classes were pretty much outside. Our capstone course was 10 days on the uh, Green River in Utah. Wow. Uh, leadership and landscape. Um, we had, you know, a spring break trip on the Rio Grande. Um, we had weekend trips to the Brazos River. I mean, it was like every time I turn around, we're on a canoe. And that was an, uh, just incredible experience um, and an educational setting. I mean, this was like our class. And um, so that was cool. But going through that, it's like I got married in 2008, graduated in 2009. Um, I told my mom. It might take me 10 years to get my degree, so I actually did it a year early. Oh, that's um, good. But didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, my in-laws were like, what are you going to do with that degree? People hear history, and they don't hear the natural side of things. Um, but I always wanted to do something you know, with the land and be outside. Um, so luck would have it. I started as a student assistant at the Lubbock Lake Landmark, uh, building their, their boardwalk trail. Oh, okay. And that was a different kind of deal um and then yeah i ended up uh becoming their technician and spent seven years there and i learned i mean i i like to say i mean i'm a city city kid but i kind of grew up on the outskirts of of north lubbock so i did you know play around in in cotton fields right but didn't grow up in the ag background and so everything i learned at the landmark um is, is was just all brand new, like driving tractors, uh, driving skid steers, clearing brush, um, spraying brush, you know, harvesting wildflowers, and then the burning. Um, that was something that, uh, you know, my last semester of school, uh, my boss at the Landmark said, if you could take two classes, take GIS and fire ecology okay. or prescribed burning. Right. So I did that. Um, and then I also went to a prescribed burn school taught by a private um, contractor, and that was a week long, and I actually learned more in a week with him, who had 30 years of experience in an entire semester um, at Tech. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, seven years at the Landmark, um, just kind of learning stewardship, and then I uh, started working on my master's while I was there. I discovered in the archives of the museum in the basement, 20... Uh, permanent transect photo points uh-huh. and they were done in 95 and it was supposed to be a permanent like somebody was supposed to do these transects yeah every year maybe two years every five years well when i found them in like 2007 nobody even remembered that that <laughs> had even happened so i i kind of did some background research come find out it was a professor that was at tech um, and she's now at like the University of Idaho. She had all the raw data still in a filing cabinet, sent it to me. And, and then I decided I wanted to redo that. There had been a lot of management done at the landmark, um, from clearing mesquite to, uh, you know, restoring the, the prairie species that belong there, um, from, uh, and some prescribed burning and some chemical applications. So I was like, this would be a good opportunity to look at. How has this plant community changed over time? And then, you know, factor in there been a, a couple of droughts during that <laughs> time. Yeah. So, yeah, I go figure that uh, the first year um, I did my uh, research was 2010. Okay. And I think the city got 3.8 inches. Yeah. And we were at the landmark when one of those inches fell on the airport. 
So we know that we got an inch less than that. So right. I mean, it was like nothing grew. We had burned uh, 80 acres, which the landmark is 336 acres. So 80 acres was a huge chunk of land to burn. Yeah. We burned it in December uh, 2009, <clears throat> and then it didn't rain. And so I was out there doing my transects, looking at a burnt clump of grass that might have one blade of grass that came up, and then it was already turning brown. Right. So um, I got really good, actually, at, at IDing things that looked very pitiful. <laughs> um, you know, I could tell three on and blue grama. I was like, that's either three on or blue grama. But it, that whole year ended up being shot, yeah. you know. Yeah. But it was still fun. Um <clears throat> And then 2011 was a little bit better. I mean, we got like six inches of rain. Yeah. Um, it's funny that that's better, right? Yeah. Uh, it was like twice as good. Um, <laughs> it was still <laughs> absolutely, six of rain. it was still absolutely terrible. You know, we averaged what, 18. Yeah. Um, but we never get that. Um, no. So yeah, uh, that was fun. Just kind of learning. Um, well, so to go back, uh, the guy that taught me the prescribed burn school, um, I adopted him as my mentor Okay. with land stewardship. And, and the same with my boss at the Landmark, Scott. Um, and I'd gone and helped Keith do some transects down in the hill country where he had been doing research trying to restore some of the hill country um, communities. And I was just so fascinated that he knew all these species by like a four-letter code. Yeah. You know, and I was like, which is, you know, the scientific names of first two letters of, of the first and second um, species and genus. And... I was like, this is so cool. I want to be that guy. Like, I want to know who all these plants are. Yeah. Um, and so uh, my first semester of grad school, I took plant ID. And it was actually, uh, I don't know if you knew Dr. Wester. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. He's down in Kingsville uh -huh. now. That was his last semester to teach that class. Okay. Um, and I remember the first day he came in there, he was like, I don't, I may have passed you coming to class, but I don't know your name. So I probably didn't see you. And he, he, he related that to, to plants. And I was like, oh, my God. It's like, those are my friends, and I can't wait to learn their names. Yeah. And so even um, even now, I'm just like, I still think about plants in, like, four-letter codes. Yeah. Um, and I haven't done my transects in five years. Yeah. So I did collect data again in 2015, um, but I haven't, you know. You know this. I have my data and it has not been published. Oh, I haven't touched it. And, and my PI has got like seven different projects and he, he says he'll touch it. But, you know. Yeah, I know. I understand. It's just sitting there and I hate that. Um, that's not our goal. It's like being scientists is to just, you know. But I was more always kind of fascinated by just the boots on the ground collection. Yeah, sure. Um, sitting at the desk and analyzing. Man, I was like, man, man, I understand that. I, you know, tough. I think you and I are both very much nature lovers and plant lovers and I'm an, I'm an applied scientist, right? Like if it, I struggle with science that doesn't have a direct impact, right? Like tangible. Yeah. Like yeah. if I can't, if I can't work with a grower or producer and if I can't like deliver something that people can use, I struggle. I mean, like, and I understand the, the need for basic science. Like, it's a, that's important, but like, that's not me. I'm yeah. very much a, like you say, a boots on the ground, applied scientist kind of guy. So I totally get that yeah. for sure. I think I'd still be happy if I was just a technician with somebody telling me go collect this data. Out okay. Here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, they say like as as you evolve in your career, you you're going to be outside less and less. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to avoid that. Yeah. Uh, and so far, it's been all right. Um, so yeah, uh, finished that master's. And as I was doing that, a uh, position opened up 
inside the loop at Qualtech. Okay. And that hadn't, that position hadn't existed. Um, Dr. Dabbert, who had built the program up, saw it kind of needed a shift to where they would actually have like a permanent manager, somebody that could be a regular contact for their two dozen landowners. Yeah. Um, and instead of just transient grad students. Um, so I kind of built that up from a position that didn't exist and ended up before I left, uh, I was there um, a little over three years and it was just building up to getting full-time biologists, um, seasonal research techs to just take our data that we'd built up for 10 years and actually start doing stuff with it. Yeah. And, um, very fortunate to, to hire who's now running the program. Um, he started out as a volunteer and then we hired him as a student assistant and then we hired him as a technician. So he's, he's been running with that program ever since I left and taking it to a whole different level. Um, so yeah. And then, and then there was a little spell of, of six months doing something that I thought was going to be better than it was. Um, <laughs> And then I was in a workshop, transformative leadership workshop at the Volunteer Center. And that's when I met my, my current boss here. And this position, FOG director at the food bank, was open. And I just read it. And I was like, this is what I need to do. Yeah. Um, this is where, where I was at before was not my calling. Um, and there's, I've always been fortunate to be happy in most of my jobs, um, at least in the last 10, 15 years. So being miserable was not um, going to work for me. So I've been so blessed to, to join this community. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we're, we're just, we're going to take this division to a new level. Um, and it's people like you working with you, AgriLife, um, Master Gardeners. Yeah. Um, there's, there's so many volunteers that once they hear about what we do, they just, they just want to come out and, and, you know, contribute and, and do what they can to help us. And it's yeah. been amazing. Well, so that's, that's a good segue. And, and, uh, <clears throat> so the, I, I mentioned that there's two, before we started recording, there's two things I really want to cover today. And that's the, the food bank grub program and the, and the food bank farm. And then I do want to talk about fire ecology, but you know, I think that was a good segue into just starting with the, what you do here now. So can you give us just a quick overview of, um, the food bank farm and uh, the orchard and the grub program. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> they're actually, you know, there's a farm manager, orchard manager, and then grub manager. And then we have assistants for each. Um, but my, my philosophy since I've started is that we're not three separate parts of this division. We all function together. Um, the orchard is a neat, neat thing going on. Um, sits on about 15 to 17 acres, 2,500 trees. Um, and, and it's, it's challenging. Um, that's all apples, correct? It's 98% apples. We do have a few fig trees. Okay. Um, and there's a few young pomegranates, oh, okay. but it was started as an apple orchard. Um, Rotary kind of sponsored it and they're the, they're the wind beneath the wings for that program. But every single, you know, when I tell um, our technicians and our, our managers, um, that we're not just like weed eating and, and, and taking care of 2,500 trees. Every one of those trees is in somebody's name. It's either in memory wow. or honor. Um, and, and furthermore, it's like Dr. George Ellie, who started it, he planted those trees by hand and hand watered them. And so, I mean, there's a lot of like 
blood, sweat, and tears, and, and heart and soul in yeah. that in that property. Um, and it's it's almost sacred. And so, um, this year has has not been a um, banner year by any means. There's you know, you you deal with fruit trees. There's yeah, <laughs> there's like two yeah. dozen things that want to kill apple trees. Yes. So so that's a challenge. Um, and then the the farm here uh, and grub are about. 20 years old. I think the farm was doing stuff a little bit earlier than that. But once grub, the grub program started, um, then it's kind of been solid ever since. Okay. Um, before that, it was probably like, you know, not as productive. And so, yeah, this marks the 20th year of grub. And what grub was started out as growing recruits for urban business. Um, it was geared towards at-risk youth. Um, and I believe, like, the first few years, like, Jennifer and, and Farmer Roy, who was, like, the, the heart and soul, his, his, his spirit still lives here. Yeah. Um, they were literally going and picking up these kids that, that needed work um, and bringing them out here. And so we kind of just used the, the farm as a backdrop for, for giving youth life skills, um, social skills, job skills. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's been going strong for 20 years. and. Um, so all that said, uh, we have a community supported agricultural program, which funds the grub youth. Mm -hmm. Um, and I talked to a lady this morning and she was already wanting to, she didn't catch it this year, but she already wanted to join next year. And so I tell her, you know, I was like, she's like, what are the benefits? And I said, the benefit is that you provide a teenager with a part-time summer job. Yeah. And, And that kind of threw her off. And I was like, well, I mean, really that's, that's your benefit. I think the produce is just a, a bonus. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and we do. Um, so we have a pretty good sized CSA um, shareholder group. And starting in June, every week, we're able to provide produce to these shareholders. And especially during the summer, they get to see the kids working. I mean, the kids start from planting to maintaining the row crops to harvesting. And, and then they get to interact with the shareholders and the shareholders get to see that their investment is you know, it's tangible yeah um, so yeah um, un- unfortunately you know COVID happened but <laughs> but we were hoping it to be a bigger celebration for Grubb's 20th but sure. it it got a little overshadowed by the fact and rightfully so there were a lot more hungry people this year so yeah. so the food bank had to kind of shift gears um, well, and we're, we're, we're fine Grubb's Grub's good. Yeah. Well, okay. So to, so to take just a, a, a brief step back, and I, I there's so many questions I have that I want to dive into because it's such a cool thing. Um, so between the farm and the orchard and everything else, and you have a CSA program, how does that fit in with the mission of the South Plains Food Bank? So that's a good question. Um, you know, it's, it's ending hunger and enriching lives. Okay. And I think we definitely are... are our spotlight is on the enriching lives. Uh, this was my first summer of grub and, and Sandy, our grub manager, she, this was her sixth summer. And I mean, we're talking about every other youth farm in the country that had a program during the summer, as far as I know, canceled. Right. And so I, I mean, I, it, it was a hard decision and it still kept me up like every night pretty much during the summer. It was like, yeah. did I do the right thing? But, but we did. We kept, um, we hired, um, by the end of the summer, we, we had kept 17 youth. Okay. And 
no COVID scares, but I felt like they were better here um, than to not have yeah. a grub program. And I, and we saw that, that the kids, um, different backgrounds, they all just went through this together and that camaraderie. Um, and then just the kids, you know, there's just something magical about this place. And I think there's something magical about working with, with the earth mm -hmm. that you literally see these kids blossom, yeah. not just socially, but, um, as in, in a mature way, um, I was telling you earlier, there's a couple that just blossomed into like wanting to literally take ownership of this place and not selfishly, but for like thinking about the next generation of grub. And that just, that was a, um, a mission moment as our, as our new CEO, Dina says. And, um, so yeah, that was awesome. That's amazing. And you know, we've talked a couple times with different guests on the, on the podcast that access to nature is something we don't think about, but it's something that a lot of these urban youth don't have, right? Even in a, even in an agricultural community like Lubbock, you know, we're, we're not a small, people think we're a tiny little blip on, I mean, there's 300,000 people in the city, you know, probably by now where we serve as the hub for a million people. Yeah. And, and some of these kids that grow up in town, like, you know, we're sitting, how big is this farm? Just, Oh, it's like decide. maybe five acres. Okay. Um, and so three and a half are probably in cultivation, but yeah, it's not that big. No. I mean, it's like a couple of vacant lots. Yeah. Know? But like a lot of these kids, this may have been their first experience with something like this. And, and I, I you know, I, I may do a video before I leave. I may, if it's okay with you, may do a quick video of just, you know, showing the, the property just so people that listen, listen, listening to this can hear it. But like, we're sitting at this, this bench outside painted like a watermelon under a pear tree. Uh, there's raised beds I can see with chard and a few other things. And, squash behind me some high tunnels and it's just such a cool opportunity for these kids to experience something different um uh again i think y'all providing this access to nature and this access to real real skills and real life tools and real life experiences i i, I don't know how you place a value on that i i really don't no um i mean it's it is priceless um and I wish I would have known about it um, when I was in high school. Um, yeah. And, and you do see that, like, these kids, they didn't even know they had it in them yeah. to be able to, like, learn how to do things um, with, with tools or, you know, construction um, and just moving a wheelbarrow full of cucumbers up the hill. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's – and it's, it's – like I said, you know um, – the value is being put into these growing the next generation. Yeah. The backdrop, and this is just a vessel. Yeah. You know, and I think that that speaks to even any um, natural setting that you can incorporate, um, like education and, and skill building. So, yeah, it's, uh, I love it. <laughs> it's, uh, well, and I, and I can tell you do. And again, we've known each other kind of, uh, on and off for a few years. And I think this is the most, like I've heard you be passionate. I mean, cause like you're passionate about fire ecology and all that, but it seems like this is just where you were meant to be. It, um, I, I think so. And, it, and if I, when I hear it from my boss who had this job, that's, that's the, the icing on the cake. Yeah. Um, so 
you know, and I was happy at, at Qualtech and I was happy at the landmark, but I just kept feeling like I was outgrowing those positions. And this one, I told David Weaver, I was like, I'm, I'm cool if I'm like fog director for the next 30 years. Is that, <laughs> is that, is that cool? Can, can I do that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can um, this just be my last job? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and what a, what a cool feeling that is. And, and I, and I hope for those of you listening that uh, we talk a lot about careers on this podcast and just how it's never a straight line, right? We, we twists and turns, we do all kinds of stuff, but what a cool feeling. And I find like, I feel like I've found that in my current role is that if, if this is the last job I ever have, I'm happy yeah. that this was the last job I've yeah. ever had. And this was like the first job that really clicked with me because it's not anything I've actually done before, but I felt like all those stepping stones, it, it they led me to this. You yeah. know? And I feel like I'm, I'm, Definitely qualified and geared and, and passionate um, about taking this and putting my spin on it. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, as far as coming to the office every day, I can think of worse places. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have an office at the food bank and, and I'm not there. I, I, yeah, it's, it's, I have to balance it. But yeah, if, if I could help it, I'd probably spend 30 to 40 hours just here. Just here. Right. Um so, okay, a couple of questions. I have some specific questions just about the grub program and, and how it works. It's, I think, you know, I think this is something that is probably fairly unique. I don't know if there are there a lot of other programs around the country like this? As far as I know, our definitely one of the most unique things is being on the, under the umbrella of, of the food bank. Okay. Um, there are, there's uh, Urban Roots down in Austin. Okay. And that's a youth farm. There's a Soul Fire Farm. Uh, I think up in New York and then, or maybe that's the one in New Orleans or no, who, who farm is the one in New Orleans. Okay. So there, there's, and then there's another one actually called grub, um, which is, I think was the inspiration for this program. Um, so yeah, there's, I mean, it's one of those things, like, I think it'd be neat to set up a network of youth farms, sure. like, especially during COVID, I reached out to a couple and they were like, no, we're, we're canceling. And I was huh. like, well, um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the, I think it's a growing phenomenon. Um, and, and, but every one of them is different. They all have their different spin, their different missions. Yeah. Um, some are more social activists. Um, our main thing is to just kind of break the cycle of poverty, yeah. um, to, to change the next generation's outlook and opportunities. Yeah. Um, that's, that's great. Well, and I think, looking at our society today and the, the craziness of like just what our world is doing today, how much better would we be if every high school student had a chance to spend, spend a, a summer on a farm learning about like where their food comes from and the intricacies of, of uh, going from a seed to a tomato on a plate. Like I think it would help with our health overall. Yeah. It would help with, uh, maybe just compassion towards the, the people around us. I think there's a lot that um, we can learn through community agriculture that is, is unfortunately an experience a lot of people don't get. It, it is. And, but I, you know, I didn't have it either. Yeah. Um, I just felt like it was something that happened to me later in life and I, I fell in love with it. So yeah. I know that if you expose kids to it, then you will have that impact on yeah. it. So, okay, so uh, some details about this, the GRUB program, because it, it is so fascinating, and it is, it is something I bet that is uh, new information to a lot of people. Um, so you take, what, about 20 kids a summer, is that correct? Yes, yeah, we have, we have 
generally we have enough funds to, to hire 20. Okay. Um, and, and I think we, we hired 19 this summer and by the end of it, 17, we're still there. Sure. It's pretty good. Um, so what, what does that selection process look like? So how, how do kids go about finding the program and applying and all of that? Yeah. So that's a great question. I mean, uh, you know, Historically, we would just recruit like community service kids. You know, oh, okay. they, they may maybe made a mistake. Um, they end up having to do their volunteer hours and get community service, and from <laughs> that, we try to recruit them. Um, and we're actually this is going to be the second weekend of our academic year program, mm-hmm. which is every Saturday, nine to twelve. It's open to any volunteers, roughly from like ten to eighteen. Um, and we get a lot of those kids that were hired last summer to come back, and then we try to tell them to bring friends. Um, and as far as recruitment, um, this year has kind of been hard. Um, but just, you know, some of it's just looking at some of the, the youth in, in my neighborhood or, or Sandy's neighborhood and finding a kid that you're like, you need grub. Yeah. And so we've been... Um, some of it's just organic. I don't think we've ever done like a full on like blast to like sure. recruit people. Um, but yeah, during the summer they can come every Saturday and, and we kind of accumulate like or we keep track of their hours. But we look at different variables. Um, it's not just who, who came the most Saturdays. Yeah. Some of it is just literally thinking about the decision of if we hire this kid, is it is it going to benefit his family right. more by having a part time job? Or this kid, he's he needs he needs an you know an opportunity to prove himself and and take the responsibility of a job. I mean, there's a lot of kids that this is their first paycheck. Yeah, um, and we even have some that you know we we hire them 14 to 18 year olds. And this summer we had a 13 year old and she was awesome, and so she volunteered for two weeks. And then when she, she turned 14, we hired her, um, and she ended up being one of the. I mean, one of the youngest, but then she grew the most yeah. and she held her own ground. I mean, it was amazing. So yeah. like you see these changes in, in kids. Um, and yeah, so it, it's, it's Sandy's got a lot of metrics that, you know, sure. it, it's, it's not just quantitative stuff. Yeah. But, um, looking at people's character and, and then looking at the dynamics of, of the entire group as a whole too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's awesome. Well, and, and that's really cool. And you, you said something earlier that I think uh, is such a, an integral an integral part of this. Um. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm definitely leaving that in. And it's I, I want to make the point right now that we're sitting outside, and this is a working working farm. And so there's there's stuff going on. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah, it Cody's so in the happy. shop making noise and, and dropping, dropping nails and yeah, stuff. Shareholders are coming to pick up their shares. Oh, I love it. Um, but you said you made a point earlier uh, about breaking cycles of poverty. And that's I think something that people don't think enough about of you know there there's unfortunately this attitude in certain circles of just go get a job. You know, just go, just just go do something and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. When the fact of the matter is, we get stuck in these cycles. Uh, and and if if you don't have someone or or an opportunity to to learn, okay, like oh, just go get. Oh, what does that even mean? You know, for for a lot of people, that doesn't mean anything. Uh, who's going to drive you to that job? Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, some of these kids they don't have cars when they're sixteen. No. Um, yeah. I'd wager a lot of them don't. Yeah. And and so people 
working, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, working is a learned skill. It, pe- people that, that have never had the opportunity to have a job, to be taught the skills that goes into it, uh, it's real easy for, I think, folks to maybe be like, oh, that, they're, they're just lazy. They're, no, they have never had the opportunity. And, and learning about something like this is such an opportunity. And uh, so I, I love the, the heart behind this, that it's not just give these um, kids a, a job for the summer, but you said, which one, wh- whose family can we benefit the most through this? Who's, uh, wh- where can we plug in and, and, and like, you know, kind of drive a spike in these, these spi- cycles of poverty and break them down? Yeah, and, um, you know, we have classes during the summer, and, and we had um, Kenneth Castillo with the uh-huh. the voice of hope voice of hope i think that's right and his talk just it it stuck with me and this is what he does but it was perfect for him to come talk to our grub kids like sometimes a program like this this is the first time they can experience a healthy relationship yeah a healthy environment um and that's that's huge like for somebody that if that's news to them these a lot of these youth i mean it, it everything is stacked against them yeah and so if if we can just get one kid to just break the cycle or you know save one life then then it's worth it yeah and again like how do you put a price on that you, you can't you um, can't and, and you said save one life and and it that's real that's a real thing you were i, I mean uh, you know, this, this, this episode's going to be pretty heavy, but I, I, I like it, but in a good way, in a good way, because I think that, um, we, we don't think about that, that sometimes things like this are literally saving lives, literally saving lives. I mean, they, they did a review of the program a few years ago to, to see if it was working. Yeah. And yeah, one kid said it saved his life. That's amazing. I mean, that's it. Um, and but it's not even just like the at-risk youth. There, there was a young kid. He was adopted from China, um, and whatever the circumstances were, for, for he lost his parents. But he was almost like he was ostracized. Yeah. And so he got adopted here, and and his mom found out about this program, and he, she was worried, like, because he was bullied back in in China. Come to find out, she was worried, like maybe he'll get bullied, picked on, whatever. He would come home talking about it every single day, and he was included. Yeah. And I mean, we have a diverse group of kids, and they didn't—they didn't treat him like anything different. And he ended up getting officially adopted this summer. Wow! Um, he started to learn how to cook um, dumplings, yeah, which was like a, a his homeland thing. And he was so proud to share that with the grub kids. Yeah. And I mean, he, he even would bring me the dumplings and he'd just look at me waiting to see what my reaction That's was. Incredible. I mean, he, he was, he was, you know, so like I said, there's just something magical about when you pull all these things together that just really, and I think I can speak for myself and the staff is like, it's such a rewarding like yeah. place yeah. And, and job. Um, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing, and, and we'll put more information in the in the show notes and stuff, so y'all can go look at um, look at the Grub program and look at what they do. And you know, if you're able to to donate and help support this amazing thing, I think that that's uh, something you should. If you're able, and if that's something that you're interested in, we'll definitely give some information. 
Um, I almost hate to change gears because this is. A, yeah, we could just do a separate one on, on fire, I, I, and we we might. Um, I just so I do want to mention it just real quick before we wrap up. Uh, and I don't even know what our time is, and I kind of don't even care. Um, yeah, so no, I, I, we may end with a little bit more discussion on on this and kind of. I, I want to hear some of your goals and, and where you move forward. But real quick, I, because it's relevant right now, True. I want to talk about. Uh, fire ecology. Actually, I, one of the guests I just interviewed yesterday, a two-part series that will have already come out um, when when this runs, uh, a guy named Joe Vaughn in, in Georgia who works in the timber industry, but has spent um, quite a bit, of, spent part of his career as a uh, wildland firefighter. So he did forest fires and, and all those kinds of things. So we talked about it a little bit, but um, I just want to spend a few minutes talking about Fire call and and I I want to talk about this in more depth later, but uh, with everything going on, like give me just the the elevator pitch on what fire ecology is, and and maybe we'll talk prescribed burns a little bit, and and how maybe that can help in the future with some of the things that are going on. Right now. Yeah, I mean, you say like it's relevant now. I mean, it it's it's every year. Yeah, that's true. And and it's it's Stephen Pine. Um, uh, fire historian this the earth has been on fire since there was enough fuel and lightning to make it burn yeah um, we are a fire planet and we are a fire people that to me is like the bottom foundation of like and not everybody can understand that because yeah. whatever you know smoky the bear <laughs> so the, the most successful, you know, propaganda campaign ever. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the my prescribed burn mentor, um, he's got a, a graphic, and it's Bernie Bear, and he's got a drip torch, and all the all the animals, the bob whites, the squirrels, the deer, they're all clapping. Yeah, because he's he's burning the forest, which is what it has been doing forever. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, it's like. <sighs> Like I've been, I feel like it's a, it's like a fight, yeah. like a fight to, to change people's minds that no, really like fire belongs here. All these species evolved with fire. Did, uh, you know, did they burn to the extremes that they're burning now? Probably not. Right. I mean, we can throw in climate change and, and wildland, you know, people moving into wildlands yeah. um, and those, those factors. But I mean, it's it's just so frustrating that we still have like this mentality that like a, a grass fire on the side of the highway it, 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 we got to put it out um before it's you know it burns the rangeland yeah um, and there's just so many things that we've done to change um the systems whether it's from from grazing or introducing you know different species uh i know in the west you know they're fighting cheatgrass and all these annual grasses that yeah um they end up changing the fire regime but no i mean i just it's it's just like it's like i turn on the news and i'm like oh really we're still talking about <laughs> we're, still doing this. we're still spending millions of dollars we can't put enough water on this fire we we don't have enough resources well if we took you know a tenth of those resources and did responsible prescribed burns 
to reduce that hazard. Mm -hmm. And we say that, that they say it every year. This is what we need. We've been suppressing fire for too long. And so I just, it's just really like frustrating. Yeah. Um, and, and then we only time we talk about it is when it's destroying communities and, and, and killing lives, which is, is terrible. Um, and I don't mean to like, not saying we shouldn't fight these wildfires that are destructive, but you have to know that we're not going to fight fire by putting it all out. Right. It's not going to go away. Right. Right. So, and, and we can leave it there again. I do want to do a second episode sometime. That's yeah. Cause I hadn't got into Texas fire culture. (laughs) No, no. And I, I just, I just wanted to get your thoughts because again, and like you say, it's not just right now. It's, it's every year. Something happens every year. And I, I get into conversations sometimes about this too, and I'm I'm not super well versed in it, but I've studied it a little, just from a, a literature standpoint. And it's like, oh no, this this whole region would, would be on fire this summer, you know. And and I understand that we have to have a place for our houses and our cities and all of that, and and you know, fire and wood structure buildings don't don't necessarily mix real well. But at some point, like we have come in to an ecosystem that was already running. And we try to bend it. And I, I think I say this a lot that we, we that we try to bend bend our ecosystems to our will instead of working with them. Right. And that's something that you know that's knowledge that our ancestors had uh, of how to live with fire, how to live with the the seasonal storms, and how to live with nature that we have forgotten. Yeah, I mean, and th- that is one bright side though is that the indigenous cultures on this continent are remembering that. Oh yeah, this is how we lived on the lived with this system. Yeah, you know, I mean, whether it was for benefits of hunting, you know, you could burn a, a, a burn a patch of prairie and know that the bison would be back there. Yeah. shortly. Um, yeah, the, or or certain plants would, you know, for medicinal purposes, would show up after a burn. Yeah, I mean, they knew that. Yeah, and we've lost that. And I think, you know, however many years of suppressing fire, it's going to take that many if not more, to ever get back to get back. living in harmony with fire. Like so many things, it's an educational process. And it's, uh, it, it, it keeps us in a job, right, of, as, as uh, nature educators. Yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, it, there's so many things that people only know, like, uh, you know, the sound bites about yeah. and, and not know, like, the, the deep history or the deep um, connection that we had with, with these aspects of the, the natural world. Well, and, and I think in season two or year two of this podcast, that's something we're, so it's, you know, the, the name's Planthropology, we're, it's supposed to be about the anthropology of, of nature and like how we, um, how we have connected to nature throughout time and have maybe forgotten some of those things. And we've been talking about in, the, in, in year one, season one, whatever you want to call it, about like what we do with nature today. But I think I'm going to spend some time in the next year really diving into some of the roots of this ancient knowledge that, you know what, it works because they had to live with with the land and, and that's, fire was part of the technology they had and, and we're going to dive into that quite a bit more. So yeah, that's good. I would definitely love to have, have you back, you know, in the next year to uh, sometime, you know, maybe sooner than later to talk more about, uh, in, in more detail about some of yeah, this stuff absolutely. for sure. Um, so let's, again, that was just an aside, but I think that it was an important aside because of this current news cycle and all the madness that goes along with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so 
talking back about the grub farm a little bit before we wrap up, what what is your vision? Uh, you know, you say you want to you want to be here for the rest of your career, or you know, you would be okay with that. Where, where where does this place go next? Where does this head? I mean, that's a <laughs> there's there's the the little things, you know. Like I'm looking at this this patio. I'm like, we need a wash station right there. Sure. Um, I'm looking at this this old chemical shed that we're going to convert into a grub shop. You know, I want I want to give as much opportunity to the kids to develop these skills. So I want to retrofit this shop and, and it be their shop. Yeah. Um, something that they, they organize, they do their projects and they can decorate if they want to <clears throat> paint a mural on the wall. Like I want them to start t- having ownership when they come out here. Um, and then that be able to something that they pass on. I also just really, you know, want to increase, um, you know, how many kids that we graduate that go on and do break that cycle. Yeah. Um, and, and it may not be just going to college. Um, I mean, there's that, uh, East Lubbock resident owned business initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's something I would like to start funneling some of our grub kids in, um, which can get them really good licensed you know, careers, whether it's plumbing, um, electric, uh, you know, being an electrician, welder you know just th- there's really good jobs out there that that may not fit um somebody going to a four-year school sure and i think that that's definitely something i would like to work at and then i was thinking um another like vision is for example like how many of our youth are being raised by a single mom yeah is there something we can do to incorporate <clears throat> excuse me is there something we can do to incorporate like single mothers into this program and, and reach out and, and almost like cultivate them as a family unit. Yeah. And what can we do to help that? So that's kind of the stuff I'm looking at. Um, and then just, you know, long-term vision would also be fewer annual weeds that we have to, <laughs> to deal with every single year. Uh, uh, yeah. I'd like us to be organic eventually. Um, you know, just growing you know more food and being able to to provide more food for our community um just you know plant more fruit trees just i mean i i really do i i have like a short-term vision um and then i have this like you know the the grandiose like yeah. um like having a covered shelter for every all of our equipment you know like some of those little things like yeah can can we can we get this under a shed you know yeah um but yeah i think the the main thing is just getting more of like youth that actually fulfill our mission right enriched lives um and just you know, providing the opportunity for them to look back on this 20 years from now and maybe recommend their kids coming here. You know, just sure. I, I don't want it to just be like a one summer and then we never see them again. Like, well, we, we want to foster a, a lifelong relationship with these sure. youth. Um, and then also just getting other resources in the community that don't know about us that can also help contribute to, to our mission. Yeah. So I think just a lot of collaborative, which, you know, this year's not the best year to collaborate with a bunch of different people. <laughs> right. Um, right. But, I, but it's okay. It's definitely something I'm looking forward to. Yeah. 
Well, no, man, that's great. That's all of that is really great. And I think that all of those are, you know, worthy goals that I think, gosh, people should be able to, should be willing to plug into. I think people want, once people, I, I don't, I don't, okay. I'm, this is a lot of false start that I'm going to have to cut out here in a little bit, but I don't see, and, and maybe this is naive. Maybe this is me being, you know, rosy about this stuff, but once people learn about not just the what you do, but the why you do it, gosh, I, I, I don't see how you don't get behind this. I think this is such a great mission and such a good thing that um, I, I would love to see more people really in the community, in our community, really pour into this, uh, whether that's time or resources or just being willing to like share something on Facebook about it or a tweet about it that gets the message out. I think that that's, that's such a cool thing, and I'm, I'm glad we get to do our small part uh, as as Texas Tech and as uh, this this podcast to kind of get the message out a little bit. Um, so something I ask every guest, and I never prep them for it because it's more fun for me that way. Uh, before before I let you get away, and and some people that have listened are like, okay, I've been thinking about this, but um, if you had like one piece of advice, life advice, gardening advice, I, whatever you want that you want to send listeners away with after listening to this chat for an hour, what would that be? <laughs> like I said, it's more fun for me when I blindside people with this. Yeah, no, I mean the the first thing that comes to my my mind is is it, it's appropriate in some some levels, but it it was something that my old comrade at, at Quelltech we would he he would actually write this on every notebook, and and it's just stuck with me, and I think it's relevant if you think about the grub youth, but it's don't let the bananas get you down. <laughs> Cause they're everywhere. And sometimes you're a banana to yourself, yeah. you know? So don't, if, if that works for you. Oh, I'm, Hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm down with it. I, I have, I always try to come into these last little segments with, uh, no pretext. And I just put in whatever people say. I, I mean, maybe bananas or squash bugs you yeah. know? and, or, or aphids or, you know, some tree rotting thing that kills, you know, doesn't make those pears tasty. Right. We we can't let that stuff you know stop us from the the, the brighter aspects of whatever we're doing. Yeah, um, yeah, so I love that's, it, that's <laughs> man. I love it. I'm I'm 100 down for that. Uh, there's a chance I'll bleep over that with a plant name that sounds similar. Don't let the aphids get you down. Yeah, there we go. There we go. I like it. Um, so that's awesome. I man, I again, I could probably talk to you for several hours about this stuff, but I think people are probably pulling up to their jobs right now and are like, Hey, that's, I'm going to turn this off. But, um, where can we find you? Where, how, how, if people want to get like, find the food bank online, if they want to plug in all that, where can we find yeah, you? So, um, you know, the, the farm orchard and grub has a, a page within the food banks main, uh, homepage. Okay. And my information's on there. Um, we'll also have, um, signups coming up for the next year's CSA. Okay. And, and then, yeah, the, the grub youth, um, if there's anybody out there that, ha, you know, can think of some youth that might benefit from it, um, the information's on there. Um, we also have volunteer opportunities, um, you know, seasonally at the orchard and the, and the grub farm. And yeah, um, it's all there. There's a lot of pictures from this summer, um, 
on our website too, so you kind of get okay. to see which you know the actual faces to these youth that that we've hopefully changed their life for the better. Yeah, man, that's awesome. And I'll I'll post links to all the social medias and all the the different outlets y'all have in yeah. the notes. And, yeah, and yeah. anything that's food bank, they they've been really good about promoting um, parts of our division. So yeah, awesome. Well, uh, man, Matt, thanks so much for talking yeah. to me. I, I really enjoyed that. No, it's a pleasure. We should definitely do it again. We will. We will absolutely <laughs> do it again because we just barely, barely lit a match. <laughs> you like that? Yeah. That, that dad joke about uh, <laughs> uh, fire ecology. So we'll definitely talk about that more yes. next time around. But uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for uh, hanging out with us this past year and talking about or listening to us talk about a little bit of everything. But Uh, We'll be back next week with, I think, our last episode of year one. So uh, y'all are the best for hanging in there with us, and we'll see you next time. So yeah, long story short, don't let those bananas get you down. Y'all, I hope you enjoyed that. That was such a uh, an uplifting and hopeful episode for me. I I, <laughs> I really enjoyed talking with Matt, and I, I can't wait to um, talk to him more about fire and fire ecology. Uh, thanks so much for listening this past year. Um, we are just, again, like I said, just a couple of weeks from our one-year anniversary. Next week, I have two great episodes coming at you um, with an archaeobotanist and two of his students. And... Uh, I can't actually figure out a better way to put a pin in the first year of Planthropology than to talk about the literal archaeology and anthropology of our human connection to plants. Thanks, as always, to the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for the constant support. Thanks to all our patrons for supporting the show. If you'd like to become a patron and support the show, hit up patreon.com slash planthropology. Um, thank you. Just I, I can't say it enough. Thank you for the last year. Um, I hope you enjoy the content coming at you next week, and I hope you are ready for a great year two of Planthropology, which will start in just a couple of weeks. But y'all keep being cool plant people, and we will see you in seven days. Seven days.